Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, the host with Karen. Hey guys. Um, we're recording this a little bit late on our Tuesday evening, um, partially due to me not being very prepared and uh, deciding to go out and do a trivia night. Uh, and partially due to us getting ready to go uh, move, so we're uh, we're not very well prepared today. So I think we're just going to do a quick update on where we're at, and we'll kind of see where, it, where that leaves us, I guess. <laughs> so um, this week we've just been finishing up things around the house, um, cleaning, packing some more. Eric found out um, midweek last week that he was going to have to go and get a physical assessment done by the uh, hospital um so he was going to make another trip up to north carolina so we might as well um pack the truck so we pack the truck he's gonna leave it up there with a fellow intern drive a rental back and then that way on monday when we move um he can drive the moving van i a friend of ours is gonna help uh and he's gonna come with so there'll be two people in the car with all the kids so there'll be hands in case they are needed and then one person will drive the moving van and then we will get that unloaded into our storage unit um and then eric and joe will drive back and i will be with all five kids at an airbnb so we are we have a plan (laughs) it's a very loose plan it's a very loose plan we are hoping it works um, it's funny out of, so we've moved, I think we were counting it. I think Eric and I think this is like my sixth move and it's like Eric's seventh move. I feel like this is the hardest move that we've done as a couple. Cause when we moved to the Island, we sold everything. We sold the house. We sold everything in the house or most everything in the house. And then we moved to Georgia. We had very little. So what we were moving was all fit into like one small little box. Um, and then we just had to buy stuff. And then we were just buying stuff. Um, but here, like, we... We've accumulated some we've things. We've accumulated some things. Not a whole lot, but we have accumulated things. And, and we really are feeling like we're moving a couple times because our home is not available to us until the 1st. So we are moving out the 29th um, due to our lease. And then we have a few days until we can move into our house and we have one day to get everything from the storage unit into the house before we turn around and come back to Atlanta. So it just is a very short timeline <laughs> and yeah. I think it's got us both a little stressed, but, um, we get lawnmower working. Yep. The lawnmower is working and it no longer sounds, there's no more popping sounds. It seems to drive fairly smoothly. So I think Eric feels accomplished um that is loaded up onto the truck i do not know how he's going to get that i'm going to get down squished. off the truck on his own going to definitely get squished <laughs> pray for eric tomorrow i would like him to not hurt himself before he starts residency that could be really bad i i'm just 
the bare minimum, I'm hoping that because I do that health appointment with the program, uh, I'm also have to do pictures as well for HR for I guess my or badge. So I'm hoping I don't look like a complete utter disaster <laughs> for the pictures. Uh, I'm obviously not going to wear my my shirt and tie um, during the moving process, but I do have to get that changed changed into that at some point. Um, so it's going to be a, a bit of a process to get all that done tomorrow. Lots of moving parts. I mean, six about six hours driving to get there, unload, drop off the vehicle at a residence house, like Karen said. Go get a rental car. Go to the health appointment. Somewhere in there, I got to find a place to get changed into the nicer clothes. Do the health appointment. Do the HR bit. If there's extra time. Get size and fitted for a white coat. I don't know. Uh, that could be done at some other point, so I'm not going to really rush it at this point. And then drive back. And supposedly our Ted Lasso is. Uh, we, we we typically watch Ted Lasso on Wednesday evening with a few friends. So if I make it, if I hustle, I might be back in time to watch Ted Lasso. I don't know if I'll be. Uh, conscious to do that, but we will see. Uh, Theoretically, it's the plan. <laughs> but that's the plan, and then, yeah, like Karen said, like so Thursday and Friday, we're just putting things together. Saturday, we get our moving truck, We and then we're going to start loading it up on Friday. Uh, sorry, Saturday, we get, we get the moving truck, we start loading it up on Friday, uh, Saturday, and then we will be... Uh, gauging whether we have enough room in the truck to take everything in one shot or do I need to go up again and then come back that's going to be super duper fun if we do hopefully not I don't uh, think we will have to well we'll see we'll, we'll find out on Saturday and then <laughs> um, we have some friends that uh, have been out of town for the last few months getting done with step two and getting some rotations out of the way that are traveling back into town uh, on the 26th, so Friday. Friday, so then late Friday. I think so. They want to hang out with us, and so ideally we get to hang out with them a little bit um, before we take off and go to North Carolina. So lots of moving parts, lots of things happening, and we are hoping that we don't screw it up. Um, <laughs> just hoping that things work smoothly. That's, that's about all we can hope for at this point. And, uh, yeah, that's basically how the week has gone. Um, just doing paperwork for the program, uh, lots of OSHA st stuff, uh, some basic health information like do you have any heart issues, high blood pressure, those sort of things, nothing too serious. Um, try to be, I'm trying to be as honest as I can. Um, I don't know. You, I, it's always a, for me, it's always a, a, a um, desire to be a little defensive um, or instinct to be more defensive. Like, well, I'm putting yes on this box. But let me explain how it's just a very minor thing and nothing that we should be concerned about. Please don't fire me before I start. Uh, <laughs> He's talking about his colorblindness. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm only partial. I'm partially colorblind and red-green spectrum. And usually when I say that, people will pull up, like, something or they'll, point, they'll look around the room and find something that's red and be like, can you see this? And it's like, yes, I can see that. It's red. Like, I can see very definite colors. It's just when you get into certain shades, it starts blending together. It, I'm not colorblind to the extent that 
they're gray or whatever. Like they, the, the spectrum isn't gray and black or anything like that. I can actually still see color. It's just certain shades become difficult. Um, but I, I don't think it should preclude me from practicing medicine at this point, uh, especially since there are definitely surgeons out there who do practice surgery and are colorblind, and I feel like that's a little bit different. Um, <laughs> a little bit more. Anyway, um, but yeah, just trying to fill out the paperwork, be as honest as I can, um, to go to the appointments, do just kind of jump through all the hoops that you got to jump through and uh, try to survive, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just been a long day. Today I was just cleaning up the garage, getting the mower into the back of the truck. Um, just a lot of random tasks today and just a little wiped out. So Yeah. Well, he drove somebody to the airport Oh, as I well. forgot about that. <laughs> I did do that this morning. So, <laughs> yeah, this week is just a lot of driving and a lot of cleaning and packing. Yes. So hopefully it goes smoothly. Um we did have, I don't know, it was kind of fun to look at. We did end up going through our program list just for kicks and giggles to see. Um, how everybody did. Yeah, how everybody did. And if we ranked people the same way other people ranked programs. Um, and for the most part, we did. I think there was a couple, uh, one in Michigan that was in the middle that didn't match everybody. I think they only so I think they only soaked two though. So they matched most everybody, but then the other um, programs that did not match everybody were uh, definitely on the bottom of our list. So it made us feel like okay, we kind of had the same feeling as general feeling of these programs as other individuals. Poss- did. Yeah, possibly. I mean, like. Also, I think the way way I look at it was that a lot of these programs all matched all their spots, and so they were pretty relatively competitive, in my opinion. That like, okay, well, if they didn't even go into the soap, then they had they basically were picking the right group of people for them. And I'm just glad to get into a residency with a full match um, class this year. And like Karen said, there's only two programs that we looked at. That did not have a. F- they had the soap a few positions, one or two, if not more. Um, and so, uh, we, so we, we, where do we look for this information? We we found on the National Match Registry Program and MRP, which is where you do your match listing rankings, rank order list. But they also do publish every year their match statistics um, based off of. Uh, of course, uh, the applicants last year. And so you'll see like programs that will say they match three out of six. And then I look over the last few years and you can kind of see if they have a trend. Um, it, it, it's an interesting way to look at the process. I, I don't know if it's particular. I don't know if I would say that there's a, a definite way you should look at it and know how to behave if you're going into the match. But I think it's a, if maybe you aren't as competitive as the next applicant that sometimes looking at programs that have historically soaped um, that, you know, it's hard because like it could be a red flag that the program has some struggles or has some things that they're going through growing pains or whatnot. So there's a lot of different reasons why a program could be going um, and not matching all of their spots. So it's something that I guess keep in mind, uh, but it also could also mean that, 
Um, if you don't have a very competitive application, that those might be places you could end up because they're, you know, they're, they're going to they're going to have a spot available. Now that doesn't mean like if you have an absolutely. I mean, the programs will take people who they want, obviously, and some programs will choose not to soap, and some programs will choose not to pick people who uh, or interview people who they don't think are very competitive for their program. So, just because I'm saying, oh well, you're not very competitive, you know, shoot for the moon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> be well, and be me- measured in your approach. Yeah, obviously. and to be fair, like we did look at where uh, past students had um, matched. And where, um, and kind of their statistics. And like, we know someone who matched in the Dakotas, um, and he soaped into the Dakotas, but they matched everybody this year. And it looks like the year before he soaped in, they matched everybody. And so I think that year, I mean, it's a one off year, it's a one off year, or, um, people don't want to live in the Dakotas because it's a more rural program and you get all the nice, lovely weather there. (laughs) Um, But he is, I think that program was the best thing for him and his family. Um, They've got a a lot of support there. And I I, honestly, looking at it, I think it's a God thing that they ended up there. So... You, it, it's interesting information. I'm not necessarily certain what to do with it, but it is not, it is interesting to look at and to see if there is a trend. Yeah, uh, other prog- I guess I should point out, like, you don't really know based off... So the statistics that they put out, they just show how the programs matched. So if there were six slots and they, had, they say only five people matched, you don't really know if they did fill that sixth spot through the soap process or if they're just carrying on with the five people because some again programs will decide how they want to proceed based off of how they performed in the match or how they just want to do things so the the of uh, of course obvious limitations to this the statistics to look at um but it's i think again like karen said it's interesting you'll see some programs that increased their um open position so they went from let's say they went from 12 to 15 and and then they might have contracted in this last year that i definitely saw some programs doing that where you know for three two three four years ago they were at um like 10 slots and then they uh two years ago went up to 12 and then this last year went down to nine um and so that's an interesting trend to also notice that some programs uh, are still trying to find that sweet spot where they have the residents that they want. <laughs> they have either too much or too little, and they're trying to figure that out. Um, yeah, because like the the program in Mississippi, Eric got a an email partway through the match process saying that they were because he had interviewed there, saying that they were upping their number from I think five placements to eight. Yeah, and you have to have Medicare approval for that. So programs have to basically prove to Medicare that they have the capacity to take on more uh, residents and they have the workload to give them. And so they basically have to prove that. And once they can prove it, they can offer it. And so you do get those odd programs that will, you know, just at the very end of the match cycle, go from, a, I think it was like a, what was it, a six to a nine or 
what was it? I thought it was five to eight, but I mean, that's kind of a moot yeah, point. Yeah, like five to eight or something like that. So you're like, wow, there's three more slots, and that, that could mean it's a little less competitive, or you know, maybe it is still pretty competitive. And that particular program in uh, Magnolia, Corinth, uh, uh, Mississippi, uh, they matched all the spots. Even the, even though they went up, they they had no problem matching all the spots. So that, um, and that was, again, that was our uh, third, third favorite. So uh, it still made me kind of feel good that, like, even my third choice, you know, that was pretty well sought after. People really wanted it. So, um, and I don't, again, we always want to kind of touch on, like, these are, pe- people had made these decisions to go where they want to go. You, you, of course, when you get into the match process and you interview, like, your opinions of, of a program will be probably very different than mine. So uh, keep that in mind. Like, the, the best program for you may not be, may not be the best program for me. Uh, yeah. So you got to go in with your priorities. So I don't really want to make it be like, well, well, these programs on our list didn't do very good in this match cycle, so they must have really stunk. Um, but I will say, I will say, <laughs> looking at the statistics, uh, you can go back years and years, and you can see, you can see programs struggling to fill their spots in competitive or relatively competitive, like internal medicine. Or surgery. Um, if it's family medicine, you're gonna have to kind of take that with a grain of salt. There's just so many positions available for family medicine uh, that go unfilled. I think every year, or maybe they get filled up during the soap. But family medicine is a little bit of a different animal. That they tend to have um, lots of opportunities available, and just not as many applicants uh, that want it. Whereas like internal medicine, uh, surgery, and other specialties like that, OB. They tend to be more competitive, and so when you start seeing programs struggling to fill all their slots, there could be a few different reasons for it. And we touched on like the South Dakota, North Dakota, the one, one of the Dakotas. Like it could just be like location. Like, nope, you're not going to get a. It's not going to be as competitive, or it's not going to be that many people wanting to rank them high because it's just not great weather. It's not a great place. Yeah, you know, it's not. Not a part of, not the most desirable part of the the country because believe it, most people tend to want to be in a city. Um, they want to be in a big city. They a lot of especially younger single people. They kind of feel like the city life offers a lot of uh, benefits to nightlife and whatever it is. Too expensive for us, but you know, obviously to each their own. Um, yeah. Well, cost of living is another factor. Like the the family that we know that m- got a residency in Colorado, like. It's expensive. It's expensive. Um, like what they are paying in rent is, I, it's, I believe, it's more, more than, than what we're paying in mortgage. And you know, typically rent is always more expensive than a mortgage. But the, the, the house that they bought doesn't seem as comparable to the house that we got. But again, I, I'm comparing a house in North Carolina to a house in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, more people want to live in Denver, Colorado than people that want to live in Fayetteville, Georgia, uh, North Carolina. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's just that's just how things fall. Like, obviously, if you're going to compare Denver to North Carolina, like, well, Denver has mountains and all these extra things, resorts and skier things. You can do winter, summer sports. Um the climate is very different. Um, there's probably giant giant city. There's a professional baseball teams. There's professional uh, football teams. <laughs> like a lot of attractions, a lot of things you can do in Denver. Fayetteville does not have any professional teams, as far as I'm aware of. Um, so, 
uh, yeah, things to do. Maybe Denver has a little bit more things to do, so you pay for that. So, um, and so that I, I could sorry, that, that's just a little bit of a tangent, but that's that could be a reason why a program struggles to fill all their spots. It could be that they just don't do a very good job recruiting, um, or they maybe they're considered a malignant program. Um, though, as a side note, I <laughs> I have very little. Um, basis for this next comment, but generally speaking, I think malignant programs are either um, the either from like kind of Ivy League centers or centers that are very well known, but they can get away with being malignant. Not they don't really. I don't know. Getting, ah, I'm just kind of. I'm not just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to your Karen. family medicine comment about it not being as competitive. I feel like just based off of this last match that family medicine might be more competitive in the coming years just because it seems like a lot of emergency medicine was open and available and you can work emergency medicine with family medicine um, particular hospitals will yeah. allow you to be a, a, an emergency medicine physician right and I feel like since the emergency medicine is kind of becoming more taken over by MPs and PAs and whatnot, and they do have a few doctors on staff, but I do wonder if people, to just be safe, because you can't really transition from emergency medicine to something else, but you can transfer from family medicine into emergency medicine or a lot of different, a lot of different, different areas. I wonder if and this is just me spitballing, but I wonder if family medicine might be be a little bit more competitive in the next few years, depending on what happens with emergency medicine and how people are viewing it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, this last match cycle with, I think, close to 500 emergency medicine slots going unfilled. Um, I, don't, I don't know if family medicine was still more competitive or had gotten more competitive. I don't know. I don't really I don't know. know. But this match cycle is probably more of the, I think I would either expect people to, I don't know, I think there's a, I keep going back and forth. Um, I think there's always like a balance, um, maybe a seesaw in effect where emergency medicine has been for years considered a relatively competitive specialty enough that even in our school, like we hadn't matched a lot of people in emergency medicine. We were to some degree, they were actively discouraging people because of how competitive it was. They were requiring slows and other things that we just weren't able to get our hands on in time for uh, many students anyway. And it was thought, you know, I think we had Seth Elu on. He matched emergency medicine. And it was thought, like, wow, seven interviews is actually pretty good for an IMG, uh, six or seven interviews. And that's, what I think, what he had. Um, well, this last cycle, you know, 500 slots go unfilled and have to go into the soap and there's a lot of students who didn't make it in their preferred specialty that soaped and they filled up probably most of those slots through the soap process i mean i I think i've heard of orthopedic um, people who are aspiring to be orthopedic residents who didn't match um, soaping into emergency medicine Uh, that's i don't know that's not a career uh change i would probably want to go with but everyone to each their own um so i guess what i'm saying is that the upcoming crop of students going into the match 
might be looking at it and going, well, I thought maybe emergency medicine was not obtainable because it was too competitive and I was going to go family med, but they 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 soap 500 spots, so maybe I'm going to give emergency medicine a stab. So I, I would wonder if they're going to see a little bit of an influx of yeah. applicants and, you know, maybe they'll meet somewhere in the middle, but somewhere between 100% filled and 500, you know. <laughs> um, we'll see, you know. Uh, it's who knows what the next match cycle is going to look like. Uh, it's just, you, you do see some trends in general. Um, emergency medicine kind of falling out is a, like a huge hole. That, that, that's very, I think that shocked a lot of people. It, it shocked, definitely shocked me as well. I was, uh, I was not expecting that, especially in big schools like, um, I forget, like Duke, I think had the soap and a few other big schools had the soap this year. Like, Schools that you would not, you would think that they would have no problem filling all the spots. So, anyway, I'm just rambling here. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would say, if you do go and look at what programs have done, take a good several years and take into account COVID, because I think COVID did. It screws uh, it screws up it, statistics did, a little bit. I, I do think it screwed up the statistics a little bit, and so just bear that in mind but it, it's worth a look it's, it's worth a yeah nmrp.org um, i believe that's the website and they have they have all sorts of different statistics they have statistics on uh u.s imgs non-us img you know matching rates um, they even break some specialties down into how many applicants in each of those categories instead of just giving you a raw percentage they'll tell you i think this last year like eight maybe six uh, IMGs total, like that includes US IMGs and non-US IMGs matched into orthopedics. Um, so just all those things that kind of keep you uh, hopefully well grounded and help you make wise decisions when it comes to the next match cycle of like, it's it's always good to dream. I, I think, I mean, I dreamed a little bit this last match cycle, but I, I'm happy with where I ended up. But uh, you want to dream, but you don't want to not match. Yeah, you <laughs> so, want to be, be realistic. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good to look at the statistics. I think that's a good uh, starting point, especially if you're starting the process and you're going, I have no idea where I want to apply. I think that's a, a circle that a lot of students have. Um, in our school, some of our advisors tell students to apply to 200, 300 programs. And at some point, you're just like, what 200 programs am I going to apply to? And we know we use Match the Resident. We're not paid by them or anything. And we, we found them pretty helpful. But this also could maybe lend um, an idea of like, oh, there are certain states, certain programs um, that might fit more my um, in my wheelhouse or where I'm, I'm aiming for. Uh, and you could possibly use that to curate a list um, and try to get to your your goal number of programs because I think uh, you could apply to every program in the state and just hope you know that a few things hit but like you don't I don't know it's so expensive to apply it's just so you spend thousands of dollars dropping applications out there that you just don't want to waste money on programs that you just have no shot at I think I've always joked about how I wasn't going to apply John Hopkins or Columbia um, or Massachusetts general because, well, I just don't have not competitive. <laughs> there's, there's no way they would even look at my application. So, uh, in that same spirit, it's like try to be discerning on programs. 
that you're going to drop applications to. Like if they're, if they're taking zero IMGs and you're an IMG, maybe that's not a program that's really receptive. Um, dropping applications everywhere. Uh, you could get some surprises. I'm, I think I got a lot of surprises this cycle, but you just don't want to waste your money. Like there's definitely some programs out there that are within your wheelhouse, you know, regardless of what your application looks like. Um, what other, we are, we are getting close to, I guess the next cycle, which is kind of wild. Like I have, uh, cause we're what's end of May. It's going to be June here in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of students are, Getting through the step two, uh, they're looking at September where the eros application goes live, so you can start uploading all your information. Um, I, I think it's never a bad idea to start early. Start early, yeah. <laughs> Look at your checklist. Like our school makes you do a CV. Um, you don't ever upload a CV, but you know um, it's good to have all your uh, bullet points lined up and all what you want to say, which because all that stuff is going to be transferred off the CV and onto the eros all your activities, hobbies, uh, hobbies, awards, and whatnot. So those, all those things are going to be on your CV. You can just copy and paste them in. That kind of helps. And then, of course, the personal statement. It's really easy to ignore that. I think it's easy to get frustrated and be like, I don't like writing about myself. Nobody, nobody likes writing about themselves. Um, I, it, is, it is an interesting like thought how much your personal statement does it gets, affect... It, because I, I don't know. Because, like, you take Eric and you take one of the other couples that match this season, and their personal statements were fairly similar. Hmm. Um, but they got and they applied to similar programs, but they got completely different interviews. Yeah, we had like no overlapping program, which was wild, just wild. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is what it is, uh, um, but I think the personal statement. The best, the biggest things I I could take away is like I had that conference in the ACP conference in Chicago last year, and the program directors just talked about how obviously you want to address any red flags. Don't make your entire personal statement about red flags that you might have, like a long. Uh, long period of time in, in medical school, delays in your medical education, leave of absences, etc. Um, and you know what a red flag is. Uh, <laughs> at this point, you should probably know what what is uh, going to stand out on your application as a, as a warning flag. Um, but you spend a little bit of time, but don't spend all your time. Most of the program directors said, like, this is the time they, they get to kind of, they try to get to know you a little bit. They they can see all the stats on the ERAS, you know, what your step scores were, how, what you did well in, what shelves you did okay, you know, which which core rotations you did well in, which classes in pre-clinical years did you do well in. They can see all that stuff. That's all uh, numbers and data points, and that's going to screen you in and out of, of certain programs. But the personal statement can be how they get to know you and so you got to find a way you got to find your writing voice you got to find your way a way to be uh presenting yourself to the program and telling them this is this is who i am this is what makes me interesting this is why i'm interested in medicine now there are some people who go like i'm going to write a personal statement for every program i apply to 
Good for you. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I applied to 177 or so programs. There is no way I'm going to personalize every personal statement to each program. That's just that just wasn't going to happen. I think my personal statement ended up pretty good, uh, all things considered. I think I was pretty happy with it um, because I think I hit all the points that talked about who I was and what makes me who I am and uh, what makes me tick. And I think most programs that interviewed me liked that. Um, they liked what they saw and they asked me questions about what was in my personal statement. It wasn't just a, you know, check a box, personal statement was present, move on. Um, but you can, you can do wrong by the personal statement. <laughs> Make a bad joke. Um, the, the spelling errors, grammatical errors. So this is what, this is the time to, kind of start working on the personal statement get the first draft done just that's i think uh, as a goal i would say is trying to get the first draft done by july and have people read over it and edit it yeah because we we have an advisor that reads it and he mugs it up um and it comes back with a bunch of red ink and underlined sections saying fix this do this make this look better make this sound this sounds weird uh change this and i i honestly think like the first draft is not going to be a final draft. Um, that's always going to be the case. Um, in any English class I ever took or any class I took when I had to write, uh, first draft was never the last draft. And uh, I think even in this situation, I wrote it and then I got some corrections and then I rewrote sections of my personal statement to where I wanted it to be. And I think by the time I got through all my edits, uh, rewrites and whatnot, I had a pretty good one. I, I had started writing a personal statement that was very similar to my personal statement I had when I went into medical school. My, you know, the one you sent to your AAMC to all the all the medical schools to try to get in. I had written one style of personal statement. I was trying to mimic it at first, and then I, I don't know. I, I changed gears somewhere along the way and decided that that wasn't going to be how I was going to do it. So again, it, it all takes time time and effort and no one likes writing about themselves but you just got to do it so buckle down get it done um once it's done it's done you don't have to worry about it <laughs> it's, uh but it's, it's certainly not something you want to be doing in the final weeks when the applications are about ready to drop and you're still trying to figure out how you're going to write your personal statement just start writing just start writing and send it off get edits um and then i think the only other thing i would say like really should be happening is let us a recommendation. It's never too early to chat with a, a preceptor and ask them for a letter of recommendation. They usually they'll tell you when do you need it by. I'll ask you when do you need it by. You just give them like September. As long as they know they need to write it, and they, they are quote unquote working on it, <laughs> that is enough. Uh, you just don't want to spring that on them in uh, you know late August and be like, hey, in two weeks, can you drop me a letter? Uh, that probably isn't going to work well and some and sometimes you have a letter writer who's like i see so many students could you fill out this this form and about and write some paragraphs about yourself so i kind of have something to work with and not not the most fun but <laughs> you can do it <laughs> but you got to give your letter writer's time yeah and i would i would argue three three letter writers per specialty 
Um, depending on your specialty, you want it within the specialty. So like surgery, you kind of want surgical letter writers. Um, internal medicine, you kind of want internal medicine letter writers. Uh, some programs are going to want um, uh, the core head or I don't remember. Program chair. Uh, no, like for like Dr. Longboy was our core oh. um, department head or something like that. They they want a letter from the person who's in charge of internal medicine for your your school's rotations. Uh, so sometimes you have to do that fun stuff too. Um, family medicine tends to be a little bit laxer from what I can tell from uh, people who've gone into family medicine that they have gotten three to four letter writers and some of them have spanned anything from OBGYN to family medicine to internal medicine to infectious disease. So um, you can do whatever you want, I, it seems like, with, with family medicine. Um, as long as you have a few, as long as you have like three or four. Uh, and again, tell your letter writers what you're writing for. Because, I mean, there are some students out there who are like, they go to a t their attending and the attending asks them, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to do exactly what you want to do, even if it's OBGYN. And then they're like, no way I'm doing OBGYN. Well, because <laughs> some people have a strategy where if they just tell the attending that they want to do what the attending does, then the attending is going to let them do a whole lot of fun things, which is fine. That's a fun, that's a fine strategy, I guess. But you just don't want an OBGYN writing you a letter thinking that you're going into OBGYN because then then the program's gonna read this wonderful letter about how great of a student you are and how you're gonna make this great OBGYN doctor. And the program's gonna think, we're in internal medicine, why do they think this person's gonna do OBGYN? Oh, they're cross applying into a different specialty. We're a backup. The programs will, I think, will think that way and that could be a problem. Anyway, I'm just rambling here and Karen's letting me go. <laughs> Anyways. Um, we are going to go to bed because Eric has to get up at like four in the morning. Mm. So, um, follow us on Instagram, MedFamilyMD. Um, listen to us on any of the major podcast platforms and we will probably record a few more this week. And so to we'll cover see. us through the move. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. No promises. Just like the, the time I, I said, I, I'm going to edit Patrick and Payson's uh, podcast, and it's still sitting in my, my edit drawer, <laughs> um, edit folder. But we hope you guys have a good week. Pray that we have a good move, and we will talk to you later. Bye.